Uh, I know we just got done standing up, you know, but uh, I heard somewhere that standing up is good for the cardio. I don't know. I might be lying. But <laughs> so uh, uh, if you could stand up for, for the reading of, of, of Scripture. <clears throat> I feel like, yeah, one, two. <laughs> um, okay, so now we're, we're in Luke chapter 9, looking at verses 28 to 36. All right. Um, oh. uh, so, my, so my translation might read just a little different than that one, so just, just, just follow along. Um, so now, about uh, eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, uh, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were, were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake and they saw his glory and the uh, two men who stood with him, um, and the two, two men who stood with him, and, and, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what uh, they had seen. Uh, so just going to open up the word of prayer. Father, um, we just thank you for your word, and uh, just ask that you open up our hearts so that we can receive your word. And it is in the name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, all right, all right. You can take your seat. <laughs> um, so uh, we got any movie buffs in here? People like watching movies? All right, cool, cool. Uh, I like watching movies too. Um, so, so like if a movie does well, you know, sometimes there's a sequel. You know, if it does really good, sometimes there's a sequel and whatnot. You know, uh, while there's some sequels we could probably live without, like Free Willy 2, for example. I'm sorry if I offended any Free Willy, you know, fans up in here, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so this is something we can live without. Uh, but there's a few things that can be said about sequels. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a few things that can be said about them. You know, uh, they're just as good, you know, just as good as the first one, uh, almost as good as the first one, or in some rare cases, they're even better than the first one. So I'm kind of thinking about, like, Godfather 2, you know, um, maybe, this, this could be up for discussion, Bad Boys 2, maybe, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, but like sometimes the sequel can be better than the first, you know, or do some more explaining of the first, you know, uh, and, and whatnot. So, um, but I got to admit, I like watching crime detective movies. My, 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 good, my, my wife knows, my good friends knows, you know, I, like, I love watching them, you know. Um, so, for example, uh, like when me and my wife first got together, one of the first things that, uh, that she noticed about me was I like, I loved watching Law and Order SVU. I just was watching that. Like I've seen every single episode, all 200 and 400 whatever episodes of SVU. Like I've seen every, every, every episode. Like we could turn it on right now and I'd be like, oh, snap. Like I remember what happened in that, the 15th episode. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I got to tell you, one of my favorite movies is probably Training Day, you know, um, and so sometimes I wonder, like, you know, what, what would the sequel have been like with that? It probably would have been a little whack, for real, for let's be honest. I mean, like, how are they going to bring the ball back, you know, after he got shot at, uh, so many times? <laughs> how are they going to bring it back? Anyway, but uh, so 
with all the memorable scenes and, 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 and quotes from the movie, like the one, uh, King Kong ain't got nothing on me, right? You know, or, or, uh, or, the, or, or the one where he says, uh, it's not what you know, right? It's what you can prove, right? You know, uh, so those are memorable quotes and stuff, you know. But the one quote that, that's not really that memorable, and, and if, you don't, if you watch the movie maybe two or three times, see, I watched it maybe, maybe 200 times or whatever, but like if you... Um, just watch the movie maybe once or twice, you're not gonna really catch this one and stuff, you know? So it was funny, because I was sitting with my wife and sh showing her the scene yesterday. Uh, so, um, so Denzel's driving in the car, his character driving in the car with, with, with the trainee and all that, you know, and they're arguing about something, he passes him a beer and everything, you know? Uh, and he's like, yo, man, like, like, he's telling him just, just the ins and outs about the job, and they're arguing about it and everything, you know? And so then uh, the trainee's like, I hear you, man, I hear you. So he's like, yo, he's like, you listening, but you're not hearing me and stuff, you know? So uh, that, I don't know why, that quote always sticks out to me, whatever. It's like, you listening, but you're not hearing, you know. So what's interesting, though, is when we get to the scriptures, right, listening and hearing are big issues and whatnot, you know. Uh, and so um, we even hear from the mouth of our Lord, like, he who has an ear, let him hear, you know. Uh, to me, this implies listening and an uncircumcised heart that follows. See, when you have an uncircumcised heart, you, like, like, you're able to, uh, to, to hear what the Lord is saying and, and really not just hear it, but have feet to do it and stuff, you know. Um, and so, uh, biblically speaking, it seems to me then that the quote should be reversed. You hear me, but you're not listening, right? Because you could tell, trust me, y'all could tell when a person is just listening to you and not hearing you or hearing you and not listening to you, you know? So, um, the main question and dilemma in scripture is, will man listen to God's word, you know, or go in the way of sin and folly, you know? So all of creation listens to, listens to his commands. All creation does. But see, mankind, we have an issue. We don't listen to his commands and whatnot. So, uh, so maybe I'm trying to make a big difference out of listening and hearing and stuff. You know, maybe I'm trying to, maybe I'm, you know, doing a little too much about it. Uh, but this reminds me of my wife and I's job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so when you work with kids long enough, and trust me, I work with kids for a minute. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, when you work with kids long enough, and for real, for real, not even just kids, we work with adults too. You know, like you run into this issue too. You know, when you work with people long enough, you find yourself asking two things. You know, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. You hear me? You know, or I told you to do that yesterday. Weren't you listening? Right? So usually what happens, what follows up with that is a blank stare. You know, or the deer in the headlight look, or the one that really reminds me of it the most. We got any Sonic the Hedgehog two players up in here, you know. So you know what happens when like you leave the game idle and whatnot. What does Sonic be doing? He just be looking like yo dog, picking the sticks, like <laughs> so. So <laughs> that's what he does. So, but anyway, so it's it's funny because like it reminds me of like my mom back in the day. Like she was like I done told you. So you know when the I done told you came out, you know what I'm saying? Like it's serious business. I done told you. I need you to do this. And whatever it was, you needed to do it, or there was going to be some consequences, repercussions afterwards and stuff. You know, so anyway, so the goal of looking at Luke uh, 9, 28 to 32, uh, 36, um, is that we will see that it has a twofold purpose, right? Twofold purpose. First, it is revelatory in nature. Um, that is, it reveals Jesus' true identity to his uh, disciples. True identity in nature to his disciples. Uh, in revealing his true nature and identity, we see that the glory of God is fully displayed. Okay, uh, we also see his saving acts in a fuller way uh, than all prior revelation in the Hebrew scriptures. So we, we like we see his uh, the glory fully displayed um, in a in a grand way, in a bigger way. So think about Hebrews chapter one, verses uh, one to two, where it says like God spoke to our spoke to to the fathers, to our prophets in very different ways, in various ways and all that. But in these days, he speaks to us in his son. 
through his son and whatnot, you know. So, so speaking through the son, speaking in the son is the grand, is the big what to do about God's revelation to us. It's, it's, it's what it is and stuff, you know. Everything was pointing to that and whatnot, you know. So the issue of identity is big in the Gospels, you know. So uh, you will notice if you take a close read, like in the Gospel of Luke, for example, you'll hear like disciples and follow, you know, disciples and uh, uh, just the crowd, the people and the religious leaders asking like who Jesus is. Like, yo, like this man is walking across water. Who really is this dude? Or the winds and the waves are, 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 are obeying him. Who really is this guy? Or like, yo, um, for example, like demons are coming out of this person and whatnot, you know, but just by his words and whatnot. So like, yo, like who is this person? You know, so like all questions are asked. People don't really know who he is and stuff, you know. And so if, if you really take a really close read, too, it's like Jesus is like, yo, like he tells some people don't really say much about who I am yet. You know, it's not the time, this and that, because there was a certain expectation of Messiah in the first century and, and everything. And, 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 and we'll get to that later. So um, in these verses, we see Christ supreme and ultimate glory revealed as a divine eschatological chosen prophet. And by, what I mean by eschatological, I mean the last days. Right. The word last days, uh, there is um, the uh, Greek word eschatos, uh, and it just means last days, uh, these last things and whatnot. You know, uh, and so so he's revealed as a divine eschatological chosen prophet who would come in the last days to restore Israel and bring the new age. Uh, the last days should be understood as this. So you hear a lot of times people talk about, well, yo, we're living in the last days, man. You got helicopters, blah, blah, blah. You know, Jerusalem, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Like so biblically speaking, the last days mean from the first advent of Christ in between those times up until his second advent and whatnot. So like, yeah, we are living in those last days, but the last days started when he came on the scene, when he rose up, and the church has been still living in those last days up until he comes. So when we talk about last days, we're talking about the whole, the whole gamut, the whole 2,000 plus years that we're waiting for him to, uh, to return and whatnot. So those, those, those are, those are the, that's very important to uh, hold to. Um, so as the chosen prophet, he was spoken by Moses, he was spoken of by Moses. He is greater than Moses and is a new Moses figure. He is a chosen suffering servant. So we see that he's a chosen suffering servant spoken of in Isaiah. Isaiah speaks a lot about this suffering servant. Um, and then last, we see that Jesus is the true Israel chosen Davidic son uh, and who we must listen to. So what I mean by Davidic son, I mean that he is uh, um, he's the son of David. That's what I mean. So, um, uh, so the transfiguration the transfiguration of Jesus occurs at a crucial point in Luke's gospel. As we find ourselves at the end of his Galilean ministry, uh, so starting from uh, chapter 4, going to, to uh, 950, uh, that, that, that's, that's the beginning to the end of his ministry. Soon after the transfiguration event, Jesus will set his face towards Jerusalem, right? So, so, from, so after the transfiguration, going all the way to like pretty much chapter 19, like, he has his face set towards Jerusalem. And what's happening in, in, in those chapters, if, if you're really familiar with Luke, what happens in those chapters is he's doing real teaching. He teaches in parables and whatnot to his disciples. And it's, and it's those blocks where he, he uh, helps them understand what it means to be a disciple and a follower of him and, and all that. And, and it's right right uh, in there. We also get one of those uh, you know, famous um, parables, the prodigal son is right uh, in, in, in that section. So, so He's going, he has his face set towards Jerusalem, and it even says it in 951. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he had his face set. He was focused. He's like, yo, this is what I was sent for. I'm focused. I'm going towards Jerusalem. And he knew exactly what he was going there for. Um, so, uh, and this was in order to carry out his God-given messianic task of suffering, being crucified, buried, then, 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 rose, uh, then, then resurrected. So, 
Let's get right into it. I mean, we've been into it, so let's get right into it some more. <laughs> so uh, there's three observations of why we must listen to Jesus. And these, and, and these are three observations that Luke points out that you don't really see in the other transfigura- transfiguration accounts. So in Matthew, Mark, you're not necessarily going to see these three um, observations. And we, also point, we, we already pointed them out. He's, he's that chosen prophet. He's the suffering servant. And he is the chosen one who we must listen to. So uh, we must listen to Jesus because he is the chosen and divine slash eschatological prophet who relives and reca- recapitulates uh, Sinai. And so what I mean by this is like, um, if you're familiar with the whole Sinai situation in Exodus and whatnot, you know, where like they come to the mountain and everything, you know, and like uh, the glory of the Lord descends on the mountain and everything, like they hear loud trumpets and it's blowing and it's all loud and everything. It's all dark and all that. It kind of looks like how it looks today and stuff, you know, uh, where, where it's like it's all thick clouds and it's, and it's raining and everything. And then like the, and then the trumpet's all blown and then people are scared when they come to the mountain and stuff, you know. So what Luke does, Luke is primarily trying to show that like there's some comparisons between the Sinai event and Jesus going up the mountain and whatnot. So what happens is, so if we look in verse 28, it says about eight days after. Um, look at verse 28, it says about eight days after. Eight days after what? Eight days after uh, verses uh, 18 to uh, 27. So if you're, again, if you're familiar with what's happening in here, Jesus asks, who do men say that I am, right? And Peter's like, you're the Christ and stuff, you know? And then he, go, he goes on telling like, well, okay, so this is what it means for me to be the Christ. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die you know, and, and, and be resurrected and stuff, you know. And they had no comprehension. They had no understanding of what it meant for, for a, a Messiah to die and stuff, you know, uh, let alone come again, come, come back again from, from, from the grave. Uh, and so then he goes into the whole discussion about, you know, taking up the cross and all that, you know. So it's eight days after these things. So they go up the mountain and stuff, you know. So eight days after those. And so notice in uh, verse uh, 27, what it says, but I will tell you the truth. There are some standing here who will not taste death, right? Um, until they see the kingdom of God. So the some standing here we see are actually the three people he takes with him, Peter, James, and John, you know. Um, so what happens is that, like, he goes up to the mountain, and the transfiguration is a result of his prayer. You know, so, like, when he's up in the mountain, he's up there praying. And so the transfiguration is a result of, of him wanting his disciples to know who he really is and stuff, you know. So, uh, so when um, it talks about him ascending up the mountain, uh, if you were to, to do a comparison between uh, Exodus 24 and Luke 9 right here and stuff, you know, you would see that like in the Greek, like the same, the, like the same word phrases here is ascend up the mountain. So you have Moses ascending up the mountain with three people and stuff. And then you have Jesus ascending up the mountain with three people and whatnot, you know, so like the, compa- the comparisons are there. And so Luke is like, really trying to show that, like, yeah, there is a comparison, but there also is a greater situation that's happening here. Jesus is that greater Moses, that greater prophet and whatnot, you know. So what, what, what's interesting about this is, right, is that, like, if you look at verse 28, it says, now about eight days after these things, he took, right, now, he took with him. Now, the, that, that phrase, took with him, uh, in, in the Greek, is the word paralabano, right? And it means to take into close association with, right? So, that is, Jesus wants to bring the three up to the mountain to see who he really is. So, like, he wants, them to, to, he wants to bring them up to the mountain to bring them into close association so they can really truly understand his true nature, his true identity. So that's banging if you think about it. Like, Jesus, Jesus prayed that, like, yo, who the men say that I am? All right, you're the Christ. This is what I want you to understand about me being the Christ. And I want you three to really know what it means for me to be the Christ and whatnot. So if you're a really his uh, disciple, he really wants you to know who he really is. 
his true nature, his true identity and stuff. And so, and he invites you to do that every single day and whatnot. And, 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 and we see that even here in the transfiguration. Um, so, uh, so again, we talk about the three going up. The father allows them to see the son's divinity, right? So, the, so, so, so he's up in the mountain praying. And so part of his prayer is like, yo, like I really want them to see who I really am and stuff. So the father allows the disciples to see who he really is in his glory and all that. You know, notice between the disciples. So, so again, we, 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 uh, we already touched on that. So, um, so Luke is intentional in pointing out that, again, Jesus and Moses are, are there's some similarities in them going up the mountain. You know, he takes three people. They're going up the mountain and everything. But there, there, there's some great greatness in it and stuff. So, like, notice we see that uh, in that Exodus situation, you have the mountain, you have clouds and all that, thick darkness and everything, you know, lightning flashing and everything. Uh, and um, if you're familiar with any of that in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, you will notice that, like, uh, that, that those are things that follow um, what we call a theophany. And basically what a theophany is, is the appearance of God in visible form to human beings, and it should produce awe and fear. So what's happening is, like, when you see that, like, these, these, uh, the, the thick clouds, the darkness and all that, and, and we see it even here in the transfiguration, the thick clouds, the darkness and everything, you know, like, this is a physical manifestation of God in human form in our world and stuff, you know. And so that, that's exactly what happens. So this is amazing right here. Cause, uh, so... Um, so, so, so uh, in verse 29, and as he was praying, right, so, this, so really this should be understood as, as a result of his prayer. So this is as a result of him praying, you know, the appearance of his face was altered. Now notice, this is not in uh, Matthew and Mark. This is in Luke. Like Luke, point, and Luke is doing this for a reason, right? And the reason is this is that like, you know, um, his face is altered. And again, throughout the scriptures, images such as clouds of smoke and fire, as well as lightning, and thunder are common phenomenon associated with theophanies and stuff, you know. Um, and so it's funny, like my mom used to say, like when you turn the lights off, when it was thundering and lightning outside, I don't know if your mom said it, I don't know if your mom said it uh, too, but like it was thunder and lightning, you know, uh, you got to turn all the electricity off in the house because the Lord is speaking and everything. You got to turn it all off and whatnot. So like I think this is where people get that kind of idea from and whatnot, you know, that like when there's thunder and lightning, that like it's the Lord's voice. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But anyway, so again, so his face is altered, right? So, um, uh, so his face becomes different in kind um, and pertaining to being dissimilar in, in, in kind and in class from all other entities and all other things in creation. So what it is is that, like, Jesus is in the class all by himself, right? So uh, just, um, oh, man, uh, real quick, um, Exodus 24, Exodus 24. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Um, Exodus 24, uh, verse 17, right? Um, it says, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord uh, was like devouring fire on the mountain, right? So we go back here to Luke 9. It says the appearance of the Lord, the appearance of his face was altered. So what Luke is doing here, he's saying that like, look, that what, what happened on the Exodus uh, situation is exactly what happened uh, to Jesus on the Transfiguration Mountain. His face was altered. It was, it was changed. It, it, like, like, it started glowing and everything. You know, it started shining and all that, you know. Uh, this is the true identity and stuff, you know. Um, and so, uh, and what really is happening here is that, like, what Paul talks about in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 and 6, he says, this is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Like, he is blazing right now and stuff, you know. Um, and What's also interesting, too, is that, like, when you look at the Septuagint, when you look at the, the, Greek, the Greek translation or the English version of the Greek translation, you will see that, like, it's 
the lowercase L-O-R-D and whatnot, you know. And all the times in the New Testament, when it speaks of Jesus and his true identity, it speaks of him as L-O-R-D, Lord, meaning that he is God. It's the translation of, of Yahweh and whatnot. So, like, what he's truly trying to show is that, like, Jesus is God, and his face is starting to show it and everything, you know. Um, so, uh, again, we, we look uh, in verse uh, 29, and it says, not only was his face glowing, right? Uh, it talks about his clothes were dazzling white. And y'all, in, in, in this translation, and I think this translation is really good, uh, it says flash of lightning, right? So flash of lightning, so if you compare it to like, you know, Exodus 19, 16, again, with like the mountain, or they're at the mountain, and, and, and you see the thick clouds, the lightning, and the darkness, and all that, like, and then you see in other passages, uh, like Ezekiel 1, 26, where like, uh, um, Ezekiel sees uh, the heavenly figure on the throne and everything, you know, and he sees that like his face is flashing in lightning. He sees a man on that throne. He actually sees the, the, uh, the, the, the pre-incarnate Christ on that throne and whatnot, you know. And so like, again, Luke wants us to be aware that this should take us back again to Exodus uh, 24, 24.10 where like they actually saw, it says they saw the glory of the, they saw the Lord. And it's like he was walking on, like, on, like, clear pavement and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was just blazing, just shining and stuff, you know? Like, it's like uh, like one of favorite hip-hop artists who, like, got all the, all, all the bling. Like, I mean, their bling is just derived bling. But, I mean, he's just shining because, like, that's who he is. He's just shining and whatnot. You know, so, like, and so as he's praying, and the result of him praying, not only is his face is altered, his clothes are shining, dazzling white. Like, it's just flashing. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like look, looking at like the human torch or something like that, or like uh, anybody who's familiar with um, Big Trouble Little China when uh, uh, the bull's face starts shining and everything. I mean, like it's it's like that. I mean, like Jesus is just like bam, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, so um, so this is just a preview of his second coming, though, and like he wants his disciples to see that preview again. Like like he he's he's doing this for for for, for them to know who he really is, to 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 uh, to see that preview, you know. Um, I like look, looking, uh, sometimes I wake up mad early in the morning, and I like looking out the window and all that, especially like during a rainstorm and everything, you know, and like you see it raining, and then you see all that flash of the lightning and everything, like, like this kind of reminds me of it, and like his second coming is going to be just like this, like if you look at Matthew 24 or Luke 21, it talks about how like when the appearance of the Son of Man comes in the clouds, it's going to be flashing, it's going to be crazy and stuff, you know, um, so, and I can't wait uh, for that day. So, when we look uh, here again, it says uh, in verse 30, it says, and behold, two men were talking with him um, uh, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. But like glory, I want to kind of focus on glory because that word uh, glory, kabod or doxa, uh, this refers to the radiant brightness or shining splendor, you know. So like that's what's happening here. This is pointing to like when his face is shining and his clothes are just dazzling and stuff, like this is his glory, right? So um, you have to think about uh, John 17 verse 1 and following where it says that like, you know, when Jesus is praying, uh, and he's like, you know, Father, uh, give me the glory that I had before I came to the earth. Like, this is the glory that he's talking about right here and stuff. And so, like, this is, the, this is the preview of what he's showing the disciples right now. The glory that he had before he came to earth and everything. His face and clothes are blazing, right? Uh, he is the only one who could withstand the all-consuming fire, right? And that's what Isaiah 33 talks about. Um, and he invites us into that all-consuming fire, right? So, and when he does that, why, uh, how he does that is by taking on the Father's wrath uh, in place of ours. When he returns and when all things are burnt up, all that will last are things that are in him, right? So that means anybody who's in him, everything that, that, that is for him, that's all that's going to last. Everything else is going to be burnt up, you know, 
um, it's going to be an upgrade, a new heaven, a new earth, upgrade, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, so like you think about your eyes right now and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Upgraded eyes, think about like your legs, upgraded legs, whatever. Things are upgrading and stuff, you know. Um, so when he returns and when all things are burned up again, uh, so that, that, that's what's all going to happen. And it's going to be all for his glory. His glory is going to go on all the time and whatnot. If you think about uh, what it says, um, that man was created for God's glory and to worship him forever and ever. Um, so here's a quote from uh, Stephen Lawson. Uh, it says, glory came to be used to describe the magnificent splendor and awesome radiance of God himself revealed to man. Uh, God's intrinsic glory, intrinsic glory is the revelation of the greatness of his divine attributes to his creatures, right? It involves God's greatness and grandeur being manifested to sinners, especially in the salvation of man from sin, right? No one can add anything to God's intrinsic glory. No one can add anything to it. He always had it. He always was fly like that and stuff, you know? God is who he is, never diminishing, never increasing, forever the same, the sovereign ruler, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-true, all-wise, loving, grace-giving, merciful, righteous, and wrathful. It is this intrinsic glory, right, that God delights in making known to his creatures. And this is what Jesus is doing on this transfiguration mount. He is, like, it is his delight to show it off to, to, uh, to his um, disciples and whatnot. And he wants to show that glory off to me and you all the time and stuff, you know. Uh, so Jesus is like Moses, but greater. So, so uh, if you think about Hebrews chapter 3, uh, where, where the writer of Hebrews is like, well, Moses was cool as far as, uh, you know, being a servant in the house, but Jesus, the son, is the builder of the house. And God is greater than all things because he's the builder of all things. So even in that, like, Moses is cool, Moses is great. But Jesus is greater because he is the master and builder of everything, you know. So the main point is to show that Jesus is greater than Moses by virtue of his special, especially here, his special and unique relationship with God the Father, God his Father. Moses was, un, and this is banging right here, Moses was unable to see the glory of God, right? So if you think about Exodus 34, 33, 20, where uh, Moses is like, yo, like, please, like, just, just, uh, just can, can, can I see you? And like, the Lord is like, if, like, if you see me, you're not going to live. <laughs> like so like you could at least see the afterglow and stuff you know so like so so he he puts Moses in the, in in, in, the clip, in the in the rock and he sees the afterglow he like he sees his glory but it's the afterglow right but think about what John 1 says right where it says um no one has ever seen God right you know no one has ever seen God but the only unique God the son right he is the one who is in the father's bosom he has made him known. So it is Jesus who can withstand the glory of God has seen the glory of God and he wants us to know the glory of God right? So that's what makes him even far greater than Moses and whatnot, you know? Um, so the logo son, right? He has made the father known. The father is never without his word, never ever without his word, the son. Uh, so we move on to point number two. We must listen to Jesus because he is the chosen suffering uh, servant who accomplished redemption for his people. Um, and so th this, this, this uh, gets into the conversation right here. And this is probably uh, one of the most important things that, 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 that's happening in this text right here. This has universal and global and cosmic and spiritual implications for all of eternity. It really does. Um, so, you know, when, when, whenever you read the Transfiguration, I don't know how, how, how you all th think about it, but like whenever I read it, I was like, yo, why Moses and Elijah though? Like why, like why them too? You know what I'm saying? There's other people like, like in the Old Testament who could have came out, like, you know, Jeremiah, maybe Amos, you know what I'm saying? Maybe Micah, maybe Jonah, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, but Moses and Elijah, right? So. Before we get to the conversation part, we need to understand why Moses and Elijah. So, one, uh, it's to confirm that Jesus' mission and message is from God, right? This shows continuity and fulfillment of the Hebrew Scriptures. 
So it shows that the, the, that the mission and ministry of Jesus is in continuity with the Old Testament, right? That's, that, uh, that's why. Um, so this is not like some Marcion uh, heresy type stuff where like the, the, uh, the, um, the God of the Old Testament is much different than the God of the New. No, uh-uh. This is the same God, same message, same mission and all that. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, so, uh, so that, that, that's, that's number one. So, it's, so Jesus' mission and mes- message is in continuity with the uh, Hebrew scriptures. All right. Two, to testify that Jesus is the final prophet of Deuteronomy 18.15. Now, this is so important right here because in Deuteronomy 18.15, right, it says, Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, right, from whom you must listen. you like, you must listen to him. You know what I'm saying? So, like, what's interesting, right, is that, like, whenever, uh, whenever you, you, you bump into some Muslims, they be like, yo, man, Muhammad's the last prophet. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, cuz. Like, even Moses said, like, I'm going to raise one up from your brothers. You know what I'm saying? Meaning from the, from the 12 tribe. Meaning that someone out of the tribe is going to be um, the prophet like me. And he's the one you got to listen to and stuff, you know. Uh, so, why Elijah? Because the scriptures depict him as a second Moses. So if you ever look, 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 look in like First Kings or whatever, like he, he does kind of cer- certain things that Moses does and whatever, you know. Uh, so, but also along with Joshua and then Samuel and then all the other prophets, you know, they partially fulfilled the Deuteronomy 18.15 uh, uh, thing that Moses is talking about here. You know, the, the, the promise that, that he's talking about. Also, like Moses, um, uh, Elijah would be in the wilderness uh, for 40 days and 40 nights uh, and be sp- uh, supernaturally and spiritually fed by Yahweh. And he, t- and, uh, and he too went over the, uh, re- well, not the Red Sea, but, 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 he, but he crossed the sea. Uh, and the same thing with Elijah, too. You know, uh, if, if you read it for, in, in 2 Kings, Elijah did the same thing and whatnot, you know. And this was in order to show that, like, both of them were new Moses, new Moses and uh um, that they point to another one and stuff, you know. So like they're always pointing to another one. And um, if you if you are familiar with the Gospels, Jesus again himself is in the wilderness and whatnot, forty days and forty nights. So again, it is a show that like that the the prequel is better, the sequel is better than the prequel and stuff, you know. Um, and so uh, Luke patterns this prophetic ministry. Luke patterns the prophetic ministry of Jesus, right? Uh, after Moses. So if you look in Luke seven. Uh, Jesus goes and heals a person and everything like that. And they're like, yo, like the great prophet has risen among us and stuff, you know. Uh, and then if you look in uh, Luke chapter four, when you see Elijah and, and uh, w- w- Jesus um, uh, heals um, the widow's son, brings the widow's son back to life. That's exactly what Elo- uh, 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 Elijah and, and uh, Elisha did uh, in first Kings and whatnot. So, again, like it's showing it like, OK, what they did was was was, was great. It was good. But like Jesus is doing it even better. You know what I'm saying? He's killing it right now and stuff, you know. Uh, for this reason, Moses and Elijah are presented to testify that Jesus is indeed the final prophet uh, who was promised from Deuteronomy 18.15. Uh, and this is very, very important right here. I mean, it's, <laughs> all of it is important, right? But, like, but this part is probably the most looked over, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I think um, right here, to sh- so why Elijah and Moses? To show that they are rejected and persecuted prophets. Like this is very important right here. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, so when you think of First Kings uh, chapter 18, 19, and going into Second Kings and whatnot, you know Elijah kills the prophets of uh, uh, Baal and everything, you know, and then Jezebel's after him like, yo, the, the gods better do to me and more if I don't get you the way you got my people and stuff like that, you know. So like, uh, so Elijah is scared. He's running. He's fleeing. He's persecuted, rejected by his people and stuff, you know. Um, if you go to Acts 7:35, it says. This Moses, who you all rejected, you know what I'm saying? 
uh, was going to be a ruler and redeemer for, for you all. But see, Moses, he was rejected by his people. I mean, if you look at numbers, they were rejecting him every single chapter almost and stuff. You know, Moses was rejected. He was a rejected prophet, too, and stuff. You know, um, uh, this one is, oh, man, Second Chronicles uh, 36, 2 Chronicles 36, uh, and again, you don't have to turn there, I, I, I'll just read it to you, 2 Chronicles 36, because this is so, so, like the rest of them, very important, uh, 36, 15, um, verse uh, 15 to 16, it says, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his word, and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against the people until there was no remedy, right? So, like, so like that is a, a, an indictment of what the people have been doing to the prophets for a long time. Jesus even says uh, in Luke 19, it's like, like, like yo, like, like you all have been doing this to the prophets forever. Think about what you've been doing to, to Abel all the way down to Zechariah. Like, that's going to be on you people and stuff, you know what I'm saying? You know, like, you all been, have re- rejected them forever. And so this is why Elijah and Moses are there because, like, they, they have those things and everything, but they also are rejected prophets. And Jesus, in his ministry, is a rejected prophet. I mean, think about it. There was only a few amount of people that were following him out of the whole uh, nation of Israel. And then even out of those few people, right, you had a few more that left. So he really only had 12. And then when he was crucified, he had a few people leave after that. So, like, his ministry, I mean, from just, like, just, just looking at it was a failure, you know. He was, he was rejected. You know, um, and if you're crucified, it's like being put in an electric chair nowadays. If you're crucified, it's like, yo, this boy is a convicted felon. He got the he 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 got um, he got put on him what was put on convicted felons and whatnot. You know, that's what Jesus did did. You know, but we understand that he didn't do anything to deserve that and stuff. You know, um, so verse thirty one, uh, uh, verse thirty one in chapter nine uh, says, so Moses and Elijah appear. And they're talking to, to, uh, to Jesus, right? Um, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So verse 31 literally means that they, that uh, as they spoke with Jesus, their face and clothes started to shine too. Now this is crazy, right? Because like they're talking to Jesus. And as they're talking to Jesus, they start blazing too, right? You know, um, uh, this should take us back to Exodus 34, 35, where it's like when, when, whenever uh, Moses would go into the tent, and speak with the Lord, his face started to shine too and everything. And the people would be like, yo, your face is blazing and stuff. So like Moses would put on a veil every time he would come out and everything, you know. Uh, but what's interesting here is that like when Moses spoke with Yahweh, uh, his face started to shine, started to, to, uh, to shine. Uh, he is speaking with Jesus and the same thing is happening here. You know what I'm saying? Moses is speaking with Jesus and his face is starting to shine, just like how it did in the tent. You know, now I don't know about you, right? But for me, I'm like, yo, like, that's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, so, like, when Moses is speaking to God back in Exodus, he's starting to get derived glory from, from, uh, from Yahweh and whatnot, from God. So he's speaking to Jesus, Elijah and Moses speaking to Jesus now on his mountain, and the same thing is happening. He's getting derived glory, get, like, starting to shine and everything, starting to shine just the way he was in the tent and stuff, you know. And so that's crazy. So, like, and notice, Jesus isn't getting his shine from nobody else. They're getting his shine from Jesus, you know. Like, so that's amazing right there. Uh, and as a result, result of speaking with Jesus, they both begin to reflect his glory. They both begin to reflect Jesus' glory, not their own, you know. This is his intrinsic glory 
giving them glory, giving them the rise. So they're getting it from him. It's like the moon receiving uh, uh, light from the sun and whatnot. You know, everything revolves around the sun. Every single thing revolves around the sun. Um, so uh, uh, the glory of Christ that is, so, so like, like they seen the glory of Christ. They're getting glory from it. And they're getting glory from God, you know, uh, get, getting derived glory from God. And they're starting to shine. But why are they starting to shine? Like, what, what, what is it about, this, like, like, what they're talking about him starting to get, get, get them excited or whatever and stuff, you know? Um, and it is the conversation, right? So, ah, so it says in verse 31, who appeared in glory and spoke of his de- departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So they were talking to him about what he was about. To, so this, this is not in Matthew Mark. This is right, right here in Luke. Like, they were speaking to him about what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, this word departure, right? Um, departure. Uh, yeah, departure, right? So in the Greek, right, this word departure, it means the, the actual literal word is exodus. So what they're talking to him about, they're talking to him about his exodus, right? <laughs> Snap, like, this is crazy. So like, um, so what they're talking to him about is about what he's about to accomplish for the Lord, and what he's about to accomplish is another exodus, a greater exodus, right? So, um, so this is a new exodus, and this is all up in Isaiah, you know what I'm saying? All up in Isaiah. Uh, so if you get a chance to, peep um, Isaiah. The, so the, the, these are what they call the servant songs, right? So peep Isaiah, six, Isaiah 40 to uh, 66 on your own time. Just, just, just peep those. Um, uh, but primarily, what's right in the middle there is Isaiah 53, right? You know, um, and so... And this is realized in Jesus, right? You know, so what they're talking about, they're talking about like, oh, man. So like, yo, like you're the one who's going to take on the wrath of God. You're the one that the past that, that, that like you're the, you're the real Passover with the, the, the actual Passover was pointing to. Like you're the one. Oh, snap. So like I couldn't imagine if I was there. I'd probably be just as hyped as them. Like, yo, for real. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like <laughs> so. Um, so. G- so. From that, Jesus' mission is in the language of Exodus. So, if, so the fact that it's in the language of Exodus, you know, should remind us that, like, whatever that Jesus is going to set people free from, he's going to set them free from uh, the bondage of sin and from giving them just true freedom, liberation from just slavery and all that and stuff, you know. So that's what Jesus' mission and message is all about. And this is what Jesus wants his disciples to know about him. And this is what uh, uh, Elijah and Moses are getting like hype about they're like yo snap like yo like you're really about to do this man you know so jesus is discussing with moses and elijah the reality that he has come to set his people free from uh not from the roman empire you know not from any empire not from babylon not from uh syria not from uh you know whatever empire that rises up because right because empires rise up and they fall you know so he's not setting them free from that but what he's setting them free from uh is the enslavement of sin death satan and from exile you know and that whole idea of exile is, I mean, we, we don't even have time to get into that. Uh, so the phrase they spoke uh, about his exodus shows that the entire Old Testament is about Jesus accomplishing uh, a greater exodus. You know, uh, he is the one who redeems his people from the bondage of sin. He is the Passover lamb, right? Like Paul talks about this. Peter talks about this. Like, yo, like he is the blemished Passover lamb, the spotless lamb and everything, you know. So and also like when it, when it says uh, they spoke to him about his departure. So the way that this really can be uh, uh, translated is like his exodus that he accomplishes. So this exodus, this exodus is something that he accomplishes. This is nothing that anyone else can accomplish. So the exodus that belongs to him, this, this exodus belongs to him. You know, the exodus that depends on him, right? 
So, like, it doesn't depend on any of us. It depends on what Jesus can do because Jesus is the only one who can withstand, like we said, the uh, all-consuming fire, you know, because he is the glory and radiance of God, you know? Um, uh, so uh, he defeats sin and death and Satan, and this has eternal ramifications for his people and for everyone and for the whole world, for the whole universe. It has eternal ramifications for everything, you know, whether you're in him or not and stuff, you know? Uh, whether you're going to spend eternity with him or not, you know, like, like it has those kind of ramifications. Uh, so this is the second Passover um, done by the second and greater Moses, you know. Uh, so if you think about Luke uh, 12, um, 48, right, he says, Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. You know what I'm saying? You know, He's talking about how great is my distress to get this thing ready and get it, get it done. So, 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 so like, like he, he's looking forward to getting it accomplished and whatnot, you know. And that's, and that's amazing right there because, like, he was focused. So, like, it goes back to the whole thing of, like, yo, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know what I'm going there for. I'm focused and stuff, you know. Um, and so, and he's focused on that second exodus and what that exodus means for you and me. For, for, for what it means for the rest of the world and stuff, you know, for him being the Passover lamb uh, for, for, uh, for, for all of us and everything. Uh, and so this should, this should make us think of Revelation chapter 5 where it says, you know, worthy is, the, worthy is the lamb that was slain, right? And so he's the only one who could open up the scroll. Think about what John is sitting there like, yo, like, who's going to open this scroll? Oh, snap. And he starts weeping. I bet you, I know if I was there, I'd probably be crying too. Like, yo, who's going to open this scroll? But the only one who could open it is the lamb slain. You know, it's the exodus that belongs to him. And the reason why he could open it, again, it goes back to the fact that he is that second greater Moses who will not only be that prophet who we must listen to, but he himself became the sacrifice, you know? Um, uh, so just as the children of Israel were baptized into Moses into the Red Sea, Jesus is the one who was baptized with the judgment of God by drinking the cup of his wrath. So you think about uh, Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 38. Uh, in order to cause God's final judgment to pass over his blood-bought people and bring them into the eternal land of promise. That is the new heaven and the new earth and whatnot, you know. So just like how the Passover functioned in the Old Testament, it was to bring them into the, into the land, the Passover and the new function is like it's a fulfillment, a greater fulfillment of us going into the greater land, the new heaven and the new earth, where his will will be done all the time, every single day and whatnot, you know. And I don't know about y'all, man. I can't freaking wait, you know what I'm saying? You know, like, 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 I'm tired of my will being done. Uh, you know, I wake up with my will wanting to be done and stuff, you know what I'm saying? And it sucks. I hate it, you know what I mean? Like, like, oh, man, I want to do what I want to do and stuff, you know. But, like, yo, like, I can't wait. And it's not even going to be on, like, we're going to be drones, like, yo, like, we're going to do God's will, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're going to actually desire and love to want to do his will and stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. So Sinclair Ferguson says, if we say that Christ died, that is not the gospel. I want to say it again. Like if we say Christ died, that's not the gospel. But uh, if we say that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, this is the gospel. Now, it may be sound like we splitting hairs or whatever, but like it's important because it's according to the scriptures. And it's exactly what Moses and Elijah are there for to show that it's according to the scriptures. It is in flow with the mission and message of the Old Testament. It is according to the scriptures. Even when uh, uh, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he died and rose again according to the scriptures and whatnot, you know. So this is very important. And I, and I want to add that, like, um, he rose for our justification. 
He is seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming back in glory. That is all part of what it means for it to be the gospel according to the scriptures and stuff, you know. And don't settle for a gospel that ain't according to the scriptures. So uh, we must, so to point number three. <laughs> so to point number three, we must listen to Jesus because he is the chosen, true Israel, the Vedic son. You know, he's the chosen one, the chosen one. He's the true, true Neo. He's the man, you know what I'm saying? Ducking and dodging bullets, you know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you look at uh, verses 32 down to 36, uh, and we see that uh, um, now Peter and those who were with him, they fell asleep. They were they were heavy with sleep and stuff, you know, on that mountain. Uh, but when they became fully awake, they saw they saw Jesus blazing. They're like, yo, we never seen him like that. So we walking on water. We seen him do this and that, feeding 5,000. That was wonderful, too. But like, yo, like this man is actually on fire, blazing, shining face. Closes dazzling white, everything. He's flashing lightning and all that, you know. So they see his glory and stuff, you know. And so a lot of times when I read scripture, right, you know, I'm like, man, I wish I was there. Red Sea, I wish I was there. You know what I'm saying? Um, another one. Uh, some, some some of the fights in in, in like First uh, Samuel and Kings, I wish I was there. You know what I'm saying? I just I just wish I was there so I could see it. You know what I'm saying? You know. Uh, and so this is one of the things I like. Yo, man, I wish I was like Peter, James, and John. I wish I was there. Wish I saw it. You know. But like, you know. What's greater than that, we have his word, right? Like, his, they, they recorded it for us so, like, we can actually know what happened and everything, you know? So we often give the disciples a bad rap. Like, yo, man, they mad stupid. Like, how couldn't they get it, man? Like, they always messing up, asking dumb questions and everything, you know? Uh, they always seem to miss out what Jesus is talking about. But I'm going to tell you the truth, yo. Like, for real, like, if I was there, I probably would have missed out all the time, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I know I would have missed out on what Jesus was trying to do because, you have to understand that they had an expectation of Messiah. You know what I'm saying? Sadducees had an expectation of Messiah. Pharisees had an expectation of Messiah. The Zealots had an expectation. The Essenes, they all had an expectation of what Messiah was to do. They never had an expectation that, yo, Messiah's going to come and do what? Die on the cross? Like, die? You know what I'm saying? Like, that is failure. <laughs> you know? Um, so, again, that's why they was always rejecting him. Like, yo, like, like. Uh, like, like you, like you're not trying to, you're not trying to appease what we want and stuff, you know. Um, so they always seem to miss the point. Um, uh, so again, we go back. To, so what they saw, they saw his glory, they saw him blazing and stuff, you know. Uh, um, and then what Peter asked. Now this, like, th- th- this is interesting because I, I think some, some, sometimes and giving Peter a bad rap, they think that like Peter just doesn't know what he's talking about and stuff. Like, where did you get this from? You know what I'm saying? Like, why, like, why are you saying this? So, uh, so he says, Master, it is good that we, we, you know, we're here. Let's build three tents, one for you, one for, one for uh, Elijah and Moses, you know. So most of the times I think that, like, pe- people, when they see it, they're like, oh, man, he, he, he's just, uh, he just doesn't know what he's saying. He's just pointing out certain things here, and, uh, you know, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't quite understand. But I think he does have an understanding. He has a first century messianic hope understanding of what it meant for a Messiah to come. And this is what I mean. He says, uh, make three tabernacles, and he's alluding to Leviticus, right? He's thinking of Leviticus 23, where it talks about the, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, you know. Now, you got to understand that the Feast of Tabernacles uh, was pointed to God's provision for them after the Exodus and whatnot, you know. Um, so whenever they were in the wilderness and all that, you know, uh, they, they, uh, they would have the feast, and it, it would point to the fact that, like, God provided for us when we were in the wilderness for, for, for those years. Um, but it was also, so it looked, it looked back. The feast, the, the feast of uh, the booze or the feast of tabernacle, but it also looked forward. So when you read in uh, Zechariah chapter 14, right, it talks about the fact that like after Messiah destroys all his enemies, right, there's going to be a 
the, the, like the feast is going to be celebrated. The feast of tabernacles, the feast of booths is going to be celebrated. It's going to celebrate the fact that, uh, that again, he has made provision for his people and it celebrates his deliverance and everything. So like Peter isn't necessarily wrong in thinking this way, you know, but it's not time. Like think about, again, you know, in Acts chapter one, it was like, yo, so are you now going to uh, establish the kingdom for Israel? Like, nah, not time yet and stuff, you know. So like, like he's thinking rightly, but he's not thinking rightly about the right, it's wrong timing and stuff, you know. So that, 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 that's where he is. And so again, so this points forward to the new Exodus again, uh, the, the, the whole Feast of Booze thing. And so like he's right, but like he wants it to happen right there but it's not happening at that point because he needs to go and die first. But the problem, and the main problem here is Moses and Elijah, so like Moses and Elijah, if you want to build three tabernacles, what it's pointing to is pointing to equality between the three. And there is an equality between the three. Moses and Elijah, there might be some equality there, but we're talking about Jesus, the greater, the greater one, the greater prophet who you must listen to and stuff, you know? So like, so like that, that, that's what's wrong because again, you think about the fact like when they're talking to Jesus, they're getting, der derived, they're getting derived glory from Jesus. Jesus is just shining, giving off his glory and stuff, you know? So again, that's the difference right there, you know? Um, uh, and again, the difference is he is the maker of the house while Moses is the servant serving in the house and stuff, you know? So that's the, that, 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 and all the prophets are the servants serving in the house. Uh, so we get here uh, in um, verse uh, 35 and it says, and as they came, um, and as we were talking, there was a, a shadow, a cloud that overshadowed, right? So now it's like back to that whole cloud overshadowing uh, imagery and stuff, you know. So like, so in Exodus, only Moses goes into the cloud. But now, you know, uh, here, Jesus brings Peter, James, and John into the cloud with them and stuff, you know. So like now they're all in a cloud. But I don't, like, like, so when you, when you think about that, I think about like Mount St. Helen exploding and whatnot. And see just all this thick clouds and everything. And could you imagine four people just going up in there and stuff? Like that's that's kind of what's happening here. You know what I'm saying? So um uh but what happens here is that like so they're in the cloud, uh, and they enter the cloud and now they're afraid. I mean, think about it, like could you imagine like being in some thick clouds? Like that's I mean, and I don't want to make light about it, but think about 9-11, like when the, the towers came down, it was dark, you know what I'm saying? You know, and people are in thick darkness, you know what I'm saying? So like they're afraid, you know. Um, and as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud, as they entered the cloud, and then it says in verse 35, this is, this is banging. He says, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him, right? Um, like this is banging. So uh, what happens is the voice is the same voice that they heard, well, that, 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 that you hear in the uh, baptism. This is, my, this is my chosen son, you know, this is the one who I'm pleased and whatnot, you know. And please, notice this is in the past tense, like he's pleased with him already before he even did anything, you know. Um, uh, but what's banging about this is the father speaks from the glory cloud. So the father is the one speaking from the cloud and stuff, you know. Um, and what's happening here is that like when the father speaks, he only speaks scripture, <laughs> right? Like this is crazy. Like he's speaking the word of God to Peter. He's speaking his own word to Peter, right? So, so, uh, and what's interesting is if, if, you, if you compare Exodus 24, 17 to, uh, to, to this verse right here, it says the Lord spoke to Moses, right? So again, like, like the, the imagery is there, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the Lord speaks, come up to the mountain, you know what I'm saying? The Lord speaks, come to this cloud. The Lord speaks, yo, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him, right? So he's quoting scripture here. The one that he's quoting from uh, is Psalm 2, verse 7. And it actually is, is, is getting that from the Davidic uh, promise that he had uh, in, in uh, 2 Samuel uh, chap chapter 7. 
uh, where um, it speaks of um, the messianic son and all that, and, and the fact that like you know you like like you will have a son, uh, and your son will rule and reign and all that. You know, but what's very interesting about uh, uh, Psalm two seven is that like you know um, the the nations is like why are the nations raging? Why are they uh, against the Lord and against His anointed, against His Christ? You know, but you know what the Father does? You know what the Lord does? L O R D all caps the triune guy. You know what He does? He's up in the heavens laughing. You know what I'm saying? He's like, yo, like, I already got my anointing. I already got my son installed, you know. And the, uh, his, his inheritance is the nations and whatnot, you know. Um, so you all, what you need to do is you need to bow down and kiss the ring or, or face his wrath and whatnot, you know. This is, my, this is my son, you know what I'm saying, you know. So then he gets to the, uh, the chosen one language. Uh, and that's, and again, we, we, we spoke about the... Uh, this, the, the servant songs um, in Isaiah, that comes, th- this comes from Isaiah 42 and 44. When you get a chance to, please look it up. When you get a chance to, please look up Isaiah 42 and 44. And this, again, alludes to Israel as that, as that servant, right, who was supposed to, be, um, who was supposed to uh, be a light to the nations, but they failed. And so the one had to uh, be uh, what Israel was supposed to be for the nations. And that one is the suffering servant, the chosen servant, you know. So, um, so he says, my, so my son, my chosen one, you know what I'm saying? And so then he says, listen to him. Now, that listen to him goes back to, again, what we already discussed, that Deuteronomy 18, 15 passage, where it says, um, another prophet like Moses, he is greater, so you must listen to him and stuff, you know. And all of the, the early disciples understood that that prophecy was pointing to Jesus and whatnot. So if you look at Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 22 to 24, and uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 37, they knew that, like, Jesus was that prophet. He is that prophet. And you must listen to him. So since Jesus is the prophet who has come in, the, in these last days, he is the one we must listen to. Um, we must make sure that we do not refuse him who is speaking. And that's exactly how he, Hebrews ends. Like, he, Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse 20, 23 says, like, you know, it starts off with, like, God spoke to us. Um, in the prophets, but now he speaks to us in his son, so do not refuse what the son is saying and whatnot. You know, don't refuse him. You know, uh, when I find myself saying, like Peter, let's build a tent, or I wish that there were, uh, you know, uh, there's an event to see, uh, know for sure that we must make sure that we have, know for sure that we have the sure word and whatnot. And that's exactly what uh, a- a- AJ was reading um, earlier today in Second Peter. Uh, uh, for, um, in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, where it talks about that we have the more sure, sure word. You know, you have the prophetic word, but we have the more sure, sure word, the written word and stuff, you know. Um, uh, so um, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, right? You know, so if, if, if you are of him, you know his voice. You know, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I mean, he, he says that all in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you're saying, oh, I love Jesus, you know what I'm saying? You know, Jesus is cool. Jesus is my homeboy, whatever. <laughs> you know, if he's your homeboy, listen to him. You know what I'm saying? You know, if he's not, don't fake the funk. Or if he's not, get, 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 get to the point where, like, you all are in a flowing relationship, flowing fellowship together and stuff, you know. Um, uh, so, so he says, if you hear my voice, um, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, that is, keeping his commandments, that means keeping his word. That means obeying it, you know. Uh, so he has uh, his voice in his word. So his voice is actually in his word, you know. So when we read the word, his voice is actually in those words and stuff, you know. Um, and the spirit, because check it, 
just like what, what you read earlier, the Spirit inspired the, inspired the written word, you know? So the men who wrote Scripture, these aren't their own words, just like it said uh, in, in that passage. They didn't come up with these clever things and whatnot. It was the Holy Spirit taking them from their, their, wherever they were in their lives, whatever, you know, all the, their uniqueness about them, their writing skills, whatever, and using it for his glory and all that, you know. So the, so, so the, the Spirit inspired the written word. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God, you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 6. That's exactly what he says in uh, Colossians chapter uh, 3. You know, the word of Christ is the sword of the Spirit, you know. We cannot separate the ministry of the word and spirit. So how can we make sure we are listening to him? All right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm done. <laughs> how can we make sure we listen to him? Okay. <laughs> the word of God is sufficient. That is, God only speaks to us through his word. You know, uh, do you, so the question I want to ask, do you stand in all of his word? You know, think of like Psalm 119, the different, different verses in there where it's like, yo, like your word, I delight. Like your word is like, you know, sweet like honey to me and stuff. Like, is God's word sweet to you? You know? Um, uh, Dr. Lawson said, uh, the deeper you go into the word of God, the higher you rise in worship of God. You know? Um, we have to be militant about spending time uh, with him. Uh, so, and what I mean by militant is this, is that, like, um, there's a lot of things that are vying for our attention. Social media, TV, whatever, and all that, you know, everything, you know. We may, so we may have to spend less time on social media or really even just cut it off completely, you know what I'm saying? Delete it off our phone, whatever, uh, so, we can, so we can spend more time with them and stuff, you know? Um, whatever you need, need to do. If social media ain't your problem, then whatever your problem is, fill in the X, fill in the blank, whatever, you know? Uh, so, um, so I had to do that uh, last year where, like, I noticed like, I was waking up in the morning, like, yo, just spending mad time on there. I'm like, man, like, you know, like, even before I started reading the, reading the words, so I'm like, man, I, I got to get rid of this junk. So, I, like, I deleted it off my phone. I don't have it on there no more and stuff, you know? Um, uh, so, you know, and what I mean by, like, is the word sweet to you? Is it sweet like honey and all that? You know, see, one of my favorite desserts, and Anne can tell you, is a lemon danish. I will go above, I'll go wherever to get a lemon danish, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, but it's got to be a certain kind, it's got to be banging and stuff, you know. I just can't be eating no, you know, dry, crusty ones and all that. So, um, so, so when you think of your favorite dessert, think of the fact that, like, yo, is God's word sweet to you just like that? You know what I'm saying? You know, um, and so he tells us to take up our cross so that we can follow him. We must, lose, we must be, be willing to lose our lives for his sake and stuff. And part of losing our lives is sometimes doing something that, uh, that, we, that, that uh, we're not necessarily comfortable doing and all that, you know. Um, uh, so are you willing to lose your life uh, in, in order to gain it for him? Are you willing to do it in order to follow him and stuff, you know. Um, so when you hold to God's word as the only way he speaks to us in these days, you will, some people will be offended, you know what I'm saying, you know. Um, we live in a day and age where people have itching ears, you know. They want to unhitch themselves from the Hebrew scriptures, you know. Like, like there's a pastor who actually said that recently, you know. Like he wants to unhitch himself from the scriptures, you know. <laughs> um, uh, we want to know, so we, we, we're, we're living in a day and age where people want to know God's will. They want to know his call and stuff like that. But his will is in his word. His call is in his word. The more we know his word, the more we know his call. The more we know his word, the more we know his will for our lives and stuff, you know. Um, when you are militant about spending time with him, you will shine like Moses and Elijah. And it would kind of be like uh, Peter and, uh, and John in Acts 3 and 4 where, like, you know, people could tell that they spend time with Jesus and whatnot, you know. When you take up your cross and follow him, you will, suffer, you will suffer social persecution. And, again, what I mean by suffer social persecution is um, 
the fact that like sometimes you'll take a stance on something and people won't be banging with you. They won't even want to talk to you, you know? They want not, nothing to do with you. Make fun of you and all that, you know? But you got to stand firm. Take up your cross. Stand firm, you know? Uh, last, it's worth mentioning that Luke points to the transfiguration, uh, point in the transfiguration is different than uh, Matthew and Mark. However, we can learn the same lesson. Ministry doesn't take place on the mountaintop. It doesn't, you know? Um, ministry has at its foundation and core the nature of God and his purpose. It's suffering and serving well, you know, serving well while you're suffering or whatever. I don't like this job. I hate this job. This and that, blah, 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 you know, suffering and serving well, you know. Um, suffering brings glory, you know. I mean, it actually really does. I mean, Paul, Paul talks about it all up and down in Romans 8, you know. Um, Biblically speaking, the implications of listening to him is obedience, you know. So if you're going to listen to him, then it's feet that follow and stuff, you know. Um, now, another quote from uh, Lawson, he says, the one who loves God uh, does his word. If you don't keep it, you don't love it. And I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm talking about growing in grace, you know what I'm saying? So, like, like I'm not talking about, like, you know, like, well, I'm not keeping it today. I must, you know, I must suck, or, or, or I'm not keeping it today. I must not be saved. No, uh-uh. We're talking about growing in grace here and stuff, you know what I'm saying? You are saved. You didn't do anything to get yourself saved, you know, and therefore you can't necessarily do anything to keep yourself saved. The same gospel that saved you is the same gospel that's keeping you and stuff, you know. Um, and, and we're growing in that, growing in grace and whatnot, you know. Um, when I want to complain about my situation, uh, to try to make it better for my glory, right? You know, and we have we we all have that. When I want to change something for my glory, you know, um, I must listen to him, you know, listen to his word, you know. Even when I have plans, and I and trust me, I've had a lot of plans. You know what I'm saying? 36 years, I've had a lot of plans. You know, even when I have plans, and I think those plans are pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Like like yo, I think I would have made a lot more money if I, <laughs> or I think I would have did this, or I think you know I had plans. You know. You must listen to him uh, because there's a way that seems right to man. There's a way that always seems right to me, you know, but that way always leads to death, always does, you know. So that's why I got to listen to him, not his plan. When I want to make my situation easier, I must listen to him. Uh, his way of delivering me, delivering us is much different and greater than how I have it planned, how I ha like how we have it planned out, you know. Uh, it's for his glory and not mine, Okay. Uh, he may be trying to grow me up so I can have deeper fellowship with him. So, like that, that that's 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 why it's important to like listen to him, listen to his word, and understand that like he may have different plans. His glory may not be for what we think it is, but he has a better plan for us and stuff, you know. Um, so, what's the last thing he told you in his word? I just want you to think about that. What's the last thing he told you in his word? When was the last time you listened to God's word? When was the last time you actually listened to God's word? When was the last time you read his word and wept? When, really, when was the last time you read his word and wept? You know, when was the last time you read his word and was grieved over your own sin, grieved over your sin? And I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about grieved to the point where it's like the Holy Spirit's pointing something out. And if he's pointing it out, it's because he loves you, and he wants you, he wants you to die to that. Because Jesus already died for it. You know what I'm saying? He wants you to die to that. He wants you to grow in maturity. 
That's what he's calling us to, growing in maturity. He's not calling us just to stay a child of God. He wants us to grow into maturity. You know what I'm saying? You know, um, so when was the last time that you were encouraged by the word? When you read it, when was the last time that you were encouraged by it? You know? Do you delight in his word? Is his word your delight? You know? Can you live without his word? Can you breathe without his word? I challenge us as Redemption 1010, and especially since we're approaching the 30 days, you know, of prayer and all that, I challenge us as Redemption 1010 to be a church that is a word-saturated church, you know. Um, I challenge you to take time this week, this week, you know, to open his word, pray, and to ask God to give you ears to hear his word, feet to move, and an uncircumcised heart uh, so that we can keep his word. See, all that is, uncircumcised heart, is the spirit working in our hearts, you know, giving us the, like, like, because we believe in Christ, he enables us to do God's will, you know what I'm saying? We don't have to, like, like, when we were servants of sin, all we could do was sin, you know what I'm saying? Even the good we do. So, like, say you're outside cutting grass. If you're serving a sin, that ain't pleasing to the Lord. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you could be cutting your neighbor's grass. If you're a sinner, that's not pleasing to the Lord. You know what I'm saying? At all. You could be raising mad money for Haiti, whatever, and all that. Whatever. It ain't pleasing him. The only thing that's pleasing him is fellowship with him through his son. That's it. Um, if we want to see an awakening in our lives, right, and if we want to see an awakening in Norristown, you know what I'm saying? Like where we live, this is our hood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if we want to see an awakening here, it begins in us first. You know, uh, it begins with getting into his word. Because all, I'm telling you, all awakenings start with get, going into his word. All awakenings start like that. If you look at any great awakening, it starts with getting into the word. And then letting it transform your heart. And then seeing what you can do to impact your community, your surroundings and whatnot, you know. Um, he speaks to us in his son by the spirit who inspired the written word. If it's not in his word, he ain't saved. That's just what it is. If it's not his word, he ain't saved. You know, I've had plenty of times where I had a cheesesteak overnight and thought the Lord said something to me and it turned out that it was just a cheesesteak talking to me. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> we must be a church who is about his word and prayer. Test everything by the Spirit. Test everything by the Spirit. And the way you test everything by the Spirit is testing it by His Word. Test everything that you hear by the Spirit. I just want to end, uh, end in prayer.